0: morning, church. Hey, guys, if you're in love with Jesus, let's praise his name in this place. Come on. You're thankful for him. Man, worship was on this morning. Come on. That was good. Hey, we've been in this series, uh, Fear Not, started last week by talking about future fears and how the fear of the unknown, fear of the future can certainly dominate our thoughts, our lives. This week, I want to talk to you about the fear of man, the fear of man. Uh, This is something that is a a personal part of my life. Uh, It's not anymore, praise God for that. But there's definitely been seasons of my life when I've been driven by the fear of man. Primarily just the fear of rejection. Longing to be accepted. Longing uh, for people to to think that I was cool. Uh, The problem was that in the seasons when I've struggled with this the most were not the seasons I was very cool at all Uh, when I was in middle school in in junior high and around that season uh, especially the main thing was you wanted to have cool clothes and uh and and I just didn't have that going like I I remember all the kids around me that had like Remember the Reebok pumps? Come on, those are like the coolest shoes. Like all the cool kids had those. And then there was the, the Levi's silver tabs. You had to have some Levi's, but you had to tight roll those suckers. You had to tight roll them. But, but my, my wardrobe primarily consisted of Rustler jeans, which is the generic brand of Wrangler jeans. And, and then like a sales rack pair of shoes, and then I had a bunch of Christian t-shirts, like a lot of them. I think my mom worked at a Christian bookstore, and they went on clearance. And so I had like 25 Christian t-shirts, and they were as cheesy as they sound. Like there was one that had Jesus bench pressing the cross, and instead of gold's gym, it said God's gym. Like that was the kind of stuff I was wearing. So no cool factor whatsoever. But, but, but desperately, I remember... Being at school and at different points and so longing for people to think that I was cool and accept me that to the point it would drive me emotionally. Like I would just, I just long to be a part of the cool crowd. And so I remember as I went into high school and moved around a lot and went to different high schools, but because I was so starved for man's acceptance, driven by the fear of man that I would make really, really dumb decisions, really stupid choices. I would do things and just cringe, just knowing, like, I'm going to regret this. This is not who I am. This is not what I want to do. But I was so driven by the fear of man that it didn't matter in that moment. And so I would even date girls that I really wasn't interested in at all, but I would date them because I thought it would help me with my status. And so I, it's funny enough. A few years ago, I, I found out about one of these girls that I dated. She got arrested for armed robbery, and went to prison. And I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense. That's the kind of girl she was. Yeah, that's that's about right." And 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 I would I would do things that were contrary to my character. I, I would lie, I would cheat. I remember stealing stuff from gas stations when some of the these guys around. I, I was friends with total punks just because I thought, man, if I could be friends with these guys, if I get these guys acceptance, then then that's gonna help me find value. And so I made a, a lot of really dumb decisions. Praise God by his grace. He got a hold of me and shook all of that out of me. And I had people come alongside me in my life and reminded me of the truth of what God says about me, who he's called me to be and got my eyes focused on him and knowing my acceptance in him, not being driven by the acceptance of people. It says this in the word in Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. The word trap in this scripture, in the original Hebrew, is the word mokesh. And it was literally what they would use to snare animals. It was like a noose, that they would use to snare animals. I think that's such a great picture. What it shows you is that the fear of man at one point or another will trap you. It will ensnare you. And then you'll be stuck. You won't be able to move. It can cripple you. It can mangle God's purpose in your life to be able to move forward. Now, we can all care about what people think about us, and we should to some degree I don't think anybody should just be in a place like, I don't give a care. I don't care with anybody because I want you to have friends and, 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 and you want to have friends. And I think it's important to consider influence. I think it's important to consider what people think about you. The problem is this. The problem is when it gets to a place where you care more about what people think about you than what God thinks about you. That's when it becomes an issue. Because that's when it becomes an idol. That's when it becomes something that you worship and give things of worth to. And that takes you off track. This puts people in a place of God in your life. So I think all of us have a little bit of this fear of man in us. Uh, We all have a little bit of people pleaser in us. And so I want to talk about four categories that I think most of us, even if we don't struggle with now, we probably have at one point or another in our life, or we will in the future, that all of us have probably struggled with people-pleasing. The first thing, first people-pleaser is the doormat. The doormat. I'll do anything for anybody. These guys don't have boundaries. They say yes to everything. Everything. They put other people's needs way before their own. They have zero ability to say the word no. No. And if they ever do say no, they feel so guilty and horrible about it. You can always count on these people because you know that they're going to say yes. And everyone around them knows that. So they use it. Hey, can you bring the snacks to the soccer game? I forgot. Yes, of course. Can you loan me some money? Yes, of course. Can you be the hostess at my shower? Yes, of course. Will you be president of the POA? Yes, of course. I've got plenty of time. Can you babysit my kids? Yeah, of course. I've got four of my own that I would love to have the rest of your kids too. Yes, of course. Can you give me a piggyback ride? I know it's weird, but yes, of course. You look kind of heavy, but I'll try. (laughs) They're just so desperate to feel accepted. But people who say yes all the time, you have to know this. They're getting bitter on the inside. They're getting bitter, but they'll never tell anyone. The reality is they're mad at themselves because they're the ones that keep saying yes but they may they may seem nice, but they are secretly very angry people. And you got to watch out for people that live like this because one day they're going to flip their lid. They're going to go cray-cray because it's just stewing inside of them. Their actions can never be genuine. You can never fully believe that they're being sincere because they don't know how to do anything except out of obligation. Another category, the chameleon. These are the people who say, I'll just change for everybody. I'll change for everybody. And if you're like this, you will change and adjust for whoever is around you, whatever the situation calls for. So when they're around their church friends They act churchy, whatever that is. They act like church people. But then when they're outside of that context and maybe around their place of work, and if the people around the work act different, then they act like that. And then they really get confused about who they really are. They will act like they like stuff that they don't even really like because they just adjust and change. So when they're around their artsy friends, they try to act artsy. Like if their their friends are in photography, they don't know anything about it. They're just making stuff up. Like oh, I love the aperture lighting setting, filter. Did you what did you did you use the seven series lens on that one when you took? The, I tell you, that picture speaks to me. It speaks to me. It's good. When they're around their sport friends. They try to act sporty. Man, that was awesome. These good goal unit. They scored against the opposition team. They are totally thwarting their efforts towards scoring good kickoffs. And chameleons, you really do sound that dumb. Because you're trying to act like something you're not because of fear, because you want to fit in, because you have this false thing, this false fear that that if people knew who you really were, they wouldn't like you and accept you. Then there's the bull. They say, I'll never change for anyone. Now, this may not seem like the fear of man because the way that these types of people present themselves and I know, speaking from experience, they'll make it seem like they've got everything together. They're not afraid of anybody, but in reality, they are so consumed with what people think they're afraid that the reputation could get hurt if they ever appear weak. So there's so much a fear, a slave to their fear of man. That they try to present themselves like they don't need anything. So these are the types of people that say, oh, "I'll go to church, but don't expect me to get into it. Get into it. I raise my hand or something. I'll give you a good foot tap every once in a while. All right, I'll give that to you, but I, I'm not going to get all passionate about." my savior, the creator of the universe. So I will say that typically men struggle with this a little bit more than women, but that's not always the case. But this is what drives this. It is pride. It's arrogance. And you have to know that pride and arrogance is just a different form of insecurity. That's really what it is. But, th- but th- this, is, this is something where you just, you think that if you ever show anything that looks like weakness, that people might take advantage of you. So you're controlled by this. You have to know this. The strongest, most powerful, earth-moving, Hell destroying people that have ever sucked air on the planet were passionate in their pursuit and worship of their creator. You ever read about King David? You ever read about him? Now, he, he didn't just kill Goliath. David was a bad man. You start reading about David and his mighty men and these exploits that they did, the armies that they defeated. Like like David back to back in a barley field with one of his men slaying a thousand enemy soldiers. He was a bad dude. I promise you, David was better than any of you sitting in this room right now. And one time after a victory in battle, he came back into the city leading his army and he was dancing before the Lord in praise. Dancing. Just, Just out there making a fool of himself because he was so thankful for what God had done and his wife got embarrassed. Stop that making Make a fool of yourself. Dancing. Just dancing. Stop it. You're crazy. All these women are checking you out while you're dancing. I don't like it. I love what David said. Honey, paraphrasing. I just want to let you know, I will become even more undignified than this to show worship to my God. I don't care what people think. God gave me a victory and I'm going to praise him. I'm gonna worship him. I don't care if it looks silly. He's worthy. Then there's the peacemaker. I'll just make everybody happy. I don't want to make anybody mad. Are you mad, bro? Bro, you mad? Don't be mad. I just want everyone to get along. And they over apologize. I'm sorry. Sorry for what? I'm just I'm sorry. Stop saying you're sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I won't say sorry anymore. You just said it again. I'm sorry. I just can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. To the point like it doesn't even carry any weight anymore. I don't believe you. I'm sorry. And they avoid confrontation and conflict. Oh. Like they don't even want to be around it. Like if they see someone else having conflict, they're like, oh. think they were arguing, (laughs) makes me uncomfortable. The problem is this conflict and confrontation is a part of life. I don't know of one healthy friendship or marriage that exists without some level of confrontation. Can I get an amen from any of the married people in the room? Okay, so for, for any of you couples, newly marrieds, and you fought the whole way to church this morning and now you're acting like everything's okay, let me just set you free. Because I guarantee you there's some other people who've been married decades longer than you. They were straight up cussing each other on the way to church this morning. And they still love each other. Because... Conflict is a part of life. Healthy conflict and confrontation can actually bring a lot of glory to God and forge real relationships. That is what the world is lacking. Real relationships. And I'm just telling you, it, it comes only through some conflict and disagreeing and people disagreeing with you. Paul was faced with this in the New Testament. He was, he was talking to the church in Galatia and he, they're having big issues, big conflicts, because there was this group of people that were saying that the only way that they could have salvation was through circumcision. And all the grown men were like, I have a problem with this. This is not, no, I disagree strongly with this. And so they were saying, no, it's, it's not just circumcision. It's the circumcision in the law. And then some people are saying, no, it's neither of those things. And Paul's come along and he says, no, the only way that there is salvation is faith in Jesus. He made the sacrifice, but it was very unpopular. And people disagreed with him. And people told him that he was wrong. And they were angry with him. And this is what he said in Galatians 1.10, dealing with this. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You have to get this. You cannot worship God and people's opinion at the same time. And when people become too big, God will become too small. You will put him in a box. When you are worried about people's opinion, when you're so worried about people not disagreeing with you and keeping the peace, You remove Jesus from the throne of your heart and you put them on it. The problem is when your life comes to a place of difficulty, you're gonna need to be able to go to the throne for some help, but the problem is the wrong person's on it and they can't help you. Only God can. So, how do we please God? How do we please God? Can you imagine what it would be like if all of us in this room woke up every day and made the decision that, you were, that we were going to live to please God instead of people? that that was all we cared? Could you imagine the freedom that we would have from so many different struggles? Could you imagine the dreams that we could achieve? Could you imagine the lives and the souls? that could be saved if we were driven by this awe and reverence and fear of God instead of fear of man. How do we do it? First of all, you got to be confident about who you are. Not cocky, but confident. And there's a thin line. But one of them is just you have a, you have a very clear understanding about who God is and who he is in you. And you know exactly where your confidence comes from. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. The world needs no more men and women of God who wake up every day and say, in spite of what anyone else says, is saying, in spite of what culture is saying, I'm gonna go to this to find my truth. I'm gonna go to this to find my identity. I'm gonna go to the word of God to find my confidence. I'm gonna spend time in his presence. I'm gonna allow him to speak to me and remind me of my value. Remind me of the price that he paid. And when you do that, you're gonna walk in some confidence. And God needs that because he needs confident messengers. He needs confident ambassadors of his truth and of his gospel. It says in John 5:41, your approval means nothing to me because I know that you don't have God's love within you. Look, sometimes people are not going to be loving. If you submit your life to God, you're going to have haters You're going to have some people that disagree with you. They're not going to agree with the decisions that you're making. There will be people that hurt you. There are going to be people that turn their back on you. It's going to happen. People that judge you and critique you. You can't follow God and make everybody happy. Because, Because God's not of this world. But if God is for you, then who can be against you? He's your judge. He's your defender. He's got your back. You also got to be clear about where you're going. You got to be clear about where you're going. I don't know about you, but when I get ready to go on a road trip, I get ready to go on a road trip, there is only one thing that matters. The only thing that matters when I go on a road trip is getting to the destination as quickly and efficiently as possible. Okay, so I will turn into a heartless, emotional robot to achieve the goal of arriving at the destination. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? Where are my road warriors at? Come on now. Because other people are like, no, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. You're full of it because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If it was all about enjoying the journey, why are you going on a road trip? You're going on a road trip because you are going to a destination. You're going to that destination because where you were is not as good as the destination. So get to the destination as quick as you can. Because I promise you, there isn't a gas station along the way that's gonna be as good as the destination. So you get there, get there. I will drive through the night and let all the families sleep My kids are too big for diapers now, but I'll put the pins on them to keep us from having to stop at gas stations because I'm not interested. I am way more concerned about my miles per gallon than I am about anybody's feelings. We're trying to get to a destination. If I have to stop for gas, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about those cars that are going by that I already had to pass on the highway and it's eating at my soul that I'm gonna have to get back on the highway and go around those people again. because I'm worried about where I'm going. If you don't have God's destination, his plan and vision for your life, you're gonna be totally distracted by every exit that comes along. And there's plenty of flashy exits along the way. If you don't know where you're going, you don't know what God has said about you, the things that he has in store for you, you can get off track so easily. I'm not saying that you can't find some people that are going on the same journey as you. And that's great when you do that. But you've got to have a picture of God's vision, His dream, and His purpose for your life. You've got to know where you're going. And when you know what that is, it creates a filter that allows you to see what should be and what should not be. It helps you to know the things that you can say yes to and the things that you got to say no to. It'll help you to, to know the people that you need to say yes to and the people you need to say, uh uh-uh, uh, no way. I don't need that distraction. And you have to understand this because the only way you're ever going to have a fulfilled relationship in your life, you've got to know where God is taking you first. Because too many relationships get codependent. Too many relationships become dependent on where the other person was going and you lose focus on where God had called you to go. The reason why divorce rate is just as high among unbelievers as it is among believers is because the same thing happens. God never intended for two half people to come together and to try to make a whole person. God intended for a person to wake up every single day focused on who they are in Christ and running their race. And if you are running your race towards the things that God has called you to do and be, and if one at one point or another, listen up single people, if you're running the race that God has called for you to run, and one day you realize that you're And that somebody's running the same pace as you and you realize I could run without them and I'd be fine but I'm better running with them maybe that's the person you're supposed to marry but God never intended for you to take an exit to find somebody that you're supposed to be in a relationship with and this goes for every relationship not just your marriage but the people that you're living life with your friends if your friends are creating distractions away from God's purpose His calling his kingdom in your life they are not the friends that you need if they're consuming your calendar, your finances and everything else with anything other than what you are certain that God has given you, pointed you at and equipped you and gifted you and called you to accomplish in your life, then he is there taking you off track and you need to restart. You need to find some new friends. You don't have to disown them. You don't have to unfollow them, but you need to start working on finding somebody else that's gonna facilitate God's plan and purpose for your life. I'm talking way too fast. But you won't be able to get that if you don't know God's destination for your life. You gotta have his purpose. And I'll tell you, when you have it, you're confident. You're confident. The reason why, if there's any amount of healthiness in my marriage or with my kids, it's because we refuse, refuse to let cultural norms dictate our destinations. Day by day and week by week, season in and season out. We have to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. You got to know where you're going. In Acts 5.29, it says this, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. By the way, this is right after Peter had denied Christ three times. So he's a recovering people pleaser. Any of you can become a recovering people pleaser. My buddy Lecrae said it this way. Don't laugh. We could be buddies someday. This is so good. If you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. If you live for people's acceptance... You're going to die when they reject you. You also got to be careful who you listen to. You got to be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of peer pressure and influence. Henry Ford, you know, Ford Motor Company, he said this. If I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said, faster horses. There's this great story, a picture of a people pleaser in the Old Testament. I read through it just a few days ago in my Bible reading in Exodus. I'm in Leviticus now, God help me. (laughs) It is hard reading through Leviticus, but it makes you very thankful for Jesus. But in chapter 32 in Exodus, context is the nation of Israel had been set free from 400 years of captivity under the Egyptians. God had parted a sea. God had defeated an army. God had shown himself miraculously time and time and time and time again. And God brought his people to the foot of this mountain and his glory came on the top of this mountain they could see the literal presence of God on this mountain only shielded by some clouds because if his full glory is exposed, it would have killed them. But they can see God manifesting himself on top of this mountain. And Moses had gone up the mountain to get instruction from God, the new covenant. And he was gone for 40 days, 40 days. They had just gotten set free from being slaves for 400 years. But now they had to wait for 40 days. But because Moses didn't come down when they thought he should have, this is what happens. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Everybody say Aaron. He's the people pleaser in this story. They said, come on. They said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Like they're pretending like, You know, the guy led us out of captivity, whatever. Who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a golden calf. When the people saw it, when the crowd saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel. These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So Aaron was who Moses left in charge of the nation of Israel. Aaron was the appointed priest by God. Aaron was the one that stood with Moses and pronounced God's judgment in front of Pharaoh. He was the spokesperson. Aaron was the guy that when Moses said, I can't talk to Pharaoh, I've got to stutter. God said, Aaron will do it. I've given him authority. I've given him power. But when Aaron started listening to the crowd, When Aaron started listening to everyone else around him, all of that confidence and identity crumbled. And now he's a people pleaser. But the problem with becoming driven by the fear of man and you become a people pleaser and you start listening to all the wrong voices and all the wrong noise, the problem is, you will get trapped in a place where you are worshiping a lot of other things except God and you'll just try to sprinkle a little God on the top. You'll live your day, day in and day out, week after week in service and worship of the world, of schedule, a of family, and of all these other things. And then try to add some God to it on Sunday. Moses, or Aaron did that. I'm going to create an idol, but, but then we'll create another altar and, and we'll still say it's about the Lord. But he'd already put a different idol on the throne of his heart. It wasn't the idol. It was people's approval. It was the crowd. It was the crowd. It's what everyone else was saying, that they lost sight So quickly, so easily. God wants you to know who you are in him. His is the only voice that you need to learn to hear. You have to spend time with him. You have to be careful who you listen to. Not everyone is seeking God's will for your life. Not everyone cares about that. Not everyone has your best interest at heart. Not everyone cares about you. The truth is this, at one point or another, we will all stand before God. I will, you will, we will all stand before God and we will give an account for our lives and what we worshiped. And the voices we listen to, and at that point, I promise you, it will not help you to say, "But they were." They. They told me this is what I should. I, if I hadn't, I wouldn't have had any friends. And said, no, he said. He'll say, "No, I." I gave you truth. I gave you identity. I gave you my son. I paid the price, for your worship for your identity, for everything that drives you. Why did you put something else on the throne of your heart? The fear of man will drive you to that place. Some of you, you're so weighted down because you are carrying things that God never intended for you to carry. One of the biggest things that drives a fear of man is this word, comparison. You looking at what you're doing in comparison to some, what someone else is doing. I'll use a lighthearted example. This last week we had Valentine's Day, right? Oh, Valentine's Day. You got kids in elementary school? Okay, well, some of you, about two weeks ago, you realized Valentine's Day is coming. And you realize, I'm going to have to make a Valentine box. Oh, God. So-and-so down the street's going to build a box that makes them look like a... Engineer that graduated from MIT. They're going to have more moving pieces and parts. It's going to be geometrically sound. There's no way their kid could have built it. They're a bonehead. They don't have that in them. It's like, there's no way that kid built that. Whatever. Like, their parents are building. But you're worried, like, oh, but what if my kid gets there and their box is not as good as everyone else's? And my Instagram picture is not as good as everyone else's? You know what's way more important? then your Valentine box, being as good as everyone else's, your kid being confident in who they are in Christ. And you're the one that God has appointed to steward their life, to speak that into them. If you're walking around insecure, constantly comparing yourself to everyone else, you are not giving them a good example of how to walk in confidence in Christ. I'm not saying it's bad to have a cool Valentine box. Our kids were awesome. They did an amazing job, and we helped a little. But at the end of the day, if it winds up driving comparison in your life, it's turning into an idol. Don't teach your kids to worship people's opinion. Teach your kids to worship their Savior and have confidence in him. But you can't give what you don't have. And the reason why some, some of you, you can't show your kids how to be a confident parent is because you've never accepted who you are as a confident son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it has to start there. You can't pour out what hasn't been poured in. And some of you, you might've been there at one point or another, but you have sacrificed little by little by little your confidence, your security, and your identity You've given away percentage after percentage after percentage into a relationship, into a career, into something else that was never intended to be on the throne of your heart. And so maybe what you need to do is to say, no more, no more. I'm going to confess those things. I'm going to confess the fear of man as an idol in my life, and I'm going to repent. And I'm gonna come back to the foot of Jesus. I'm gonna come back to the cross and the sacrifice that He made and the price that He paid so that I can know who I am and have that confidence. Maybe that's what you need today. The great thing is this Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected. Jesus understands. There's nothing that you've ever experienced that He doesn't understand. The word, even in the Old Testament, prophesied about how he would be rejected. It said in Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. In Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. In 1 Peter 2.4, he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the word says that you are heir with Christ, an heir of the kingdom of God. It says that you'll be seated in heavenly places with him. When you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, God sees you the same way that he sees his own son. Jesus paid the price. Jesus experienced rejection from people so that you don't have to be driven by the fear of people and their rejection. But maybe the issue is Jesus isn't on the throne of your heart. Some of you, you love the Lord. Most of you maybe, but if you were really honest, You let the fear of man drive so much of your life. Maybe you just need to confess that, admit it, repent. Come back to finding him as your source. Him is the truth that leads you and guides you. But some of you, you've never had a relationship with him. You've never surrendered your life to Him completely. You will always be driven by all kinds of fear if you've never experienced His forgiveness, His love. God accepts you not because of who you are or what you can do, but because of who His Son is and what He did. How do you get approval from God? Because that really is all that matters. The only thing that matters is God's approval. So, how do you get that? Well, it's not because of righteous acts. You can't earn it. It's not because you strive and try really hard. It's not by saying all the right things or doing Christian stuff. It's faith in Jesus. Simple. It's faith in Jesus. That's why we're called believers and not achievers. (laughs) Because we can't achieve it. All we can do is believe. And there's some of you that maybe you've never done that before. And I want to give you a chance to do it. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Here in a little bit, some of our prayer team is going to be down here at the altar. We're going to worship God one more time. And, and some of you, you need, you need some prayer. It uh, may be prayer over an area of your life that you know is being driven by the fear of man. It may be some other subject that you need prayer for, and I'd encourage you to come and do that. Come and get that prayer. Some of you might let the fear of man keep you from coming and getting prayer. And I think you standing and confidently uh, uh, approaching his throne, approaching even the front of this room symbolically is letting the enemy know I'm not gonna be the bull. I'm not gonna be the chameleon. I'm not gonna be the peacekeeper anymore. I'm certainly not going to be a rug that everyone treads upon. I'm gonna be the person God's called me to be. But there's some of you you have to start with first, accepting, the price that Jesus paid so that you could have a relationship with him. So if no one looking around and I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough to admit that you need him. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is not what's gonna save you, it's your faith in him that saves you. But what I'm gonna ask you to do, I think is gonna help you to have faith released inside of you, to experience the grace and the love and the forgiveness that God wants to give you. So if you're here today and you're away from him, maybe you need to rededicate your life and come back to him. And I'm not gonna make this weird and I'm not gonna point you out or embarrass you. But if you know that you need him and you're willing to confess that, nobody looking around that's you, I want you to put your hand right now. Don't hesitate. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, got it, got it. Anyone else? I need a relationship. Got it, thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes, got it. Thank you, guys. Got you. Anybody else? I I know that I, I don't have an identity in him. I don't have confidence in him. Got it. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm away from him. I need a relationship with him. Got it, buddy. Thank you. Is there anyone else? I got you. Christians pray. (laughs) There's some bulls in the room. (laughs) This is not the time to be that. In your weakness, his power is made perfect. If you want his power to show up, be willing to be weak. This is a great way to demonstrate I don't have it together. I need him. Is there anyone else? Got it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Respect that man. That's true strength. That's true strength. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Got it. God is so good. He's so faithful. He loves you. He loves you. He's got a purpose for your life. So every person raise your hand, I encourage you, the word says, when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. So I think it's really important that you profess the faith that you now have. Tell somebody. A great way to do that is through water baptism. And we'll have that opportunity here in just a few weeks. But we're just going to talk to God. We're going to initiate a conversation with him. And this is important because really this is just you admitting that you need him. And it doesn't have to sound exactly like this. It could be loud enough for your own ears to hear or just from your heart. It's just something like this. Just say, God, here's my life. And I know that it's broken. And I know that I've made so many mistakes but I believe in faith that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And in doing so, he, he, that's what defeated my sin. That's what defeated death itself. That's why death is a lie, because, <laughs> because with you, there is no death. With you, there's no, there's no reason to fear anything or anyone. So thank you. Thank you for setting me free from my sin, but also thank you for forgiving me purpose. And I don't know what all that is yet, but I pray that you would reveal it to me. Would you speak to me? Would you show me in your word? I wanna have confidence in who I am in you and what you have for me. Thank you, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender. Thank you for saving me, but also thank you that you give me your Holy Spirit to walk with me, to counsel me, to encourage me, to strengthen me and empower me. Thank you.